All right, everyone. Welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James, and I'm your host. Today, we're going to the farm. We're going to talk with Betsy, and she runs Sugarbush Farms in Vermont. They make and produce their very own maple syrup and also aged cheese and have all sorts of other goodies on the farm. If you're going to be out in Vermont, I'd highly recommend stopping by. They sound like great people, and you're sure to have a good time. And now, here's Betsy. My parents were telling me about how, I believe it's, you said it was your parents that owned the farm? Right, they started it, yes. Right, and and how they've been doing it for the past 50 yeah, they, years? They started in 1945, and um, they've been gone about... I'd say 20 years, so I'm the second generation. My sons that they probably met making the maple syrup are the third, and then we have a couple grandchildren that kind of come in and out, depending on their life, not having made up any decisions yet. (laughs) (laughs) Evolved from really when my parents started, they were... They were more mail order way before the internet, and uh, after they were gone, we had what was their living quarters that we turned into a our farm store. So that that didn't really evolve the the, the visit the farm part didn't evolve till after they were gone. And they do maple syrup exclusively, or uh, well. N- you mean originally or originally or, yeah no originally originally what they were doing they weren't they they were not doing maple syrup um well they were buying it they they my father my father although he was born in vermont and our grandparents lived in vermont my father was really raised in the city and he thought he wanted to be a farmer so after the war he scratched together $4,000 and bought this farm. And he thought he'd be a dairy farmer, and he really wasn't very good at that. (laughs) He thought he'd be a maple syrup man, and he burned up his sugar house. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and so he he was really becoming, um, buying goodies from other people like syrup, uh, and he started selecting cheese from various places and was the first to package it in in the the wax, except for the people, of course, in the Netherlands that had been doing Gouda forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so then he started selling these things through the mail, starting with my grandmother's Christmas card list and getting some free advertising lots of places and that's that's where he was so he was more of a selector of things and then when my husband came along he he went he he had grown up on a farm and was had made maple syrup so it wasn't uh he didn't burn the sugar house down (laughs) (laughs) taken over now and they they're you know they've gotten much more high-tech than we ever started yeah and that's that's one question I want to get to in a little bit on just how things have changed over the years. And mm-hmm. so with your parents, 
it sounds like, so I, I grew up in the city, right? And uh, in the city, it's not uncommon to run into people that have this romantic notion of, (laughs) I'm going to move out into the country and be a farmer. And I, you know, I could see myself going out and doing that, not knowing a clue and and burning the sugar (laughs) house down. So I can really relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But um, because it is, you know, we get in this rush and this bustle and stress and traffic and cars and we we I think become disconnected with quiet and a simple life and that's where I think the country and the farm has that appeal. Yes, definitely. Yes, I think you are correct. And that's there's a lot of people coming back to Vermont not coming back, coming to Vermont that were you know, in management in some big thing or a lawyer or whatever, and all of a sudden at 35 or 40, they've decided they they want to have a a farm. And, you know, some of them have been doing very well, uh, but that, that didn't work out well with my father <laughs> what he was trying to do. Well, when he started, they didn't have YouTube, right? So that, I'd right. imagine... They didn't have YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they had this book called, I don't know, Back to the Land, and you know that's that was his bible <laughs> <laughs> after he after he bought the farm then and and tried a couple things did he ever get discouraged from all these failed I, ventures not sure he was kind of a dreamer my mother was more the practical person i i heard after she died from my sister that she almost went back to new jersey and gave up so obviously <laughs> she got discouraged and and back then, we are, you know, we're five miles off the main road. And back in the early 50s, you were really isolated. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that was very difficult for them because you just had a neighbor you might see once a week or something. And uh, all the orders that they did get were coming in letters in the mail. So there wasn't any of the... You know, what I love is the people that come to the farm and, you know, we, we get so many fun stories and and talk to so many people that are from different places. And they were they were missing all that. Yeah. So, yes, they got yeah. discouraged, I think, or at least she did. <laughs> I'd imagine it would be quite the adjustment to go from city life where you have people all over to that complete isolation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they didn't have, we didn't have a television until I was, you know, in the eighth grade, so they, yeah, you know, the, the telephone, you, you know, you, you didn't ever call long distance because it cost money. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was completely, completely isolated. Yeah. So what was it like growing up on the farm? Well, uh, by the time I was, they started really... Being a sort of successful packaging cheese for for sale here in Vermont, we had a little route that we went around for you know a hundred miles north and a hundred miles south, and we had a really old vehicle that we hoped every time would make it back. Um, and so by the time I was in middle school, we were we had a couple of employees, and uh, I was able to join in the work of of packaging cheese and putting tags on things that they purchased and 
by the time I was in high school, the business was successful enough that we were able to have a car that I wasn't embarrassed to have them pick me up in. <laughs> <laughs> so it 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 was it was a good life to to learn to work. I think. Yeah. But so, there weren't you know we did not go to to town to play sports things like that. You know you went to school and and you came back and you worked. Right. Right. Would you say growing up in that environment that you knew more about farming than your your father? Well, I mean by then they'd really given up most of the most of the um they'd gotten rid of the cows. They they we, we didn't start making maple syrup again until I married my husband. Uh so there wasn't a whole we were on a farm. We had a few you know, animals, chickens and a cow to butcher and things like that. But we weren't really farming, farming, I would say. Like, mm-hmm. my husband was farming, farming. He was a real farmer <laughs> yeah. when he was a boy, and he was a real farmer after we got married. And so uh, okay, I learned more about farming then, for sure. <laughs> sure, sure. So he, so he got, so you got married, and then yeah. your husband came on board. Yeah, my husband my husband came on board and well he he came on board with the maple and he and he started his own um cow dairy farm and my parents were at that time selecting the cheese from different places and then when we started having cattle that we milked we sent our milk to three specific places and and the cheese was made for us there beginning then. Okay. And he started making the maple syrup. So that's the way that evolved. So the reason I've stayed married for 56 years is that most of the time my husband was doing something outdoors. And I was doing <laughs> something indoors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh so in in my real life I fit hearing aids for a living. And uh-huh. uh and so I talk with a lot of people that have been married 50 plus years and yep. and that's something that I always ask, what's the secret? <laughs> so you got all kinds of secrets, right? That you can pick right. from. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that that tends to be a common theme, you know. Um, as long as he stays outside doing his thing and, and lets me stay inside doing my thing, <laughs> everything goes okay. <laughs> what year did you start doing maple syrup again? Okay, we started making our own maple syrup here in, in 1966. We had no sugar house, no equipment, of course, because it, it all burnt up. Um, so we, we, on a limited budget, were able to borrow the sap buckets and, uh, things like that from a man who had a sugar house. And the first year we just collected the sap. We had horses and a sled and we used his buckets and, and that year we, we made enough selling the sap so we could then the next year buy some equipment and build a sugar house. Okay. Year. So we started making our own syrup probably in 1967. So what what is that process like? You you tap the trees, you get the sap. Yeah. You, you, and then yeah, what do you, you do to make trees, it syrup? You make 
you make the hole in the tree, you have to make a new hole every year. The old hole heals over sort of after a few years. And and so we started out doing about maybe 3,000 trees uh, with the buckets, and you'd have to, the sap drips out. Uh, the weather is very explicit. It has to be below freezing at night to push the sap up from the roots up into the branches of the tree. Then when it thaws out the next day, it starts to run back down the little capillaries and drips out your little spout. And so then it has to be another freezing night for it to happen again. So you start getting ready in February because it could warm up enough by late February. And then you wait for the correct weather, which last year we had 18 days. The year before it was 16. So far this has been a discouraging year with too much winter, and we're at 10 days worth of sap drips. Mm-hmm. So it, And then you take the sap, which looks just like water. It's a 2% natural sugar that the tree, ma- the tree makes the sugar by photosynthesis during the, the summer when the leaves are on the tree. Uh, and you just boil most of the water away. And so it takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. Wow. That's, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that so sounds like quite the process. boil it away in a big pan, which is called an evaporator. And it can be fired with wood or oil or gas. We we use wood still. Now, with that with that process, how how much sap would you say you get out of one tree? How you get about um, ten? Okay, a gallon of one quart of syrup per tree. So you get forty quarts of of sap approximately from one tree in a season. Okay. If if you have a you know like a 15 to 20 days at the sap drips. So this year it may be two-thirds of that instead of 100% of it. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me in January when we're going to start maple syrup, how much we're going to make, is it going to be a good year, I can't ever tell you till the middle or into April when we're all done. Sure. So you're you're basically at the mercy of of the weather and uh, yes. w- would you say a more mild winter is better for uh, production? It really doesn't matter how mild or cold it is in December and January and early February. It's, and it, it can be too warm too. We've had some too warm days in the last week when it forgot to freeze at night. And so that's just as troublesome. So, mm-hmm. uh, and whether you have snow on the ground or not does not matter. So uh, some people say, oh, there wasn't much snow a certain year, so you won't be able to make maple syrup, but that's not true. And then when when you look at maple syrup, explain the grades to me, because that, okay. that's something that always fascinates me, but I don't yes. know okay. hardly so anything about it. The grades are trying to tell you whether it's uh, delicate tasting, which is usually made at the beginning of the season, or as the, as the weather warms up and the season progresses calendar-wise, uh, the sugars become a bit more complex. And the warmer weather and the complexity of the sugar 
results in the sap still looking like water, but when you boil it, it gets a, a more brown instead of golden color. And so there's no difference in quality because it's all made the same way. No sugar or preservatives or coloring are added. It's all the same thickness because the state requires a specific thickness. It's just the just the strength of the strongness. And some people like the very light. A lot of people that are using it as a natural sweetener like the, the stronger, darker one. Uh, the one in the middle, luckily, that sort of everybody that doesn't know what they want uh, is the one we make the most of. So. <laughs> so if we do, we use probably, you know, a thousand gallons in gift packs. So that's probably what you would get if you ordered a, a gift pack. We try to, when when people come, we offer them samples of all four grades. And it's kind of fun and you know, everybody likes what they like. Sure. So the darker the syrup, the more intense the flavor? Yes, and it does tend to have a few more minerals and things like that. They're doing a lot of research now about how healthy maple syrup is for you, especially compared to high fructose corn syrup and Jemima. Yeah. So I think the future of of pure maple syrup is good because... People are paying a lot more attention to what they eat. Mm-hmm. From being people, you know, that farm maple syrup, you tap mm-hmm. the trees, you boil it. Um, I listened to a podcast last week on food fraud. Right? Do you yeah. have? How, how do you feel about people that maybe misrepresent their product, or they are? maybe watering it down or adding different sweeteners to it. Does that happen? I don't think there's a lot of it. And the reason is Vermont has very strict rules and they have state inspectors. uh, And to give you, I I can't come up with an example that I know of in the last 10 years that one man put beet sugar in his maple sap and boiled it and, and he got caught, and uh, I think he had a very big fine. Mm-hmm. Another person tried to use white sugar. It was like a shaker that you would, you know, shake it in your coffee or on a cookie, mm-hmm. and he used white sugar, and he sent it through the mail, and he actually went to jail for, for mail fraud. Oh, wow. So, so here in Vermont, anyway, I don't think there is... Uh, a lot of misrepresentation. <laughs> the one that comes to mind, uh, if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel, they have mm-hmm. these little bottles of maple syrup. And they were made by a big sugar company in Vermont that was bought out by a company in Brooklyn, New York. So it used to say all natural 100% maple syrup. Well, about I don't know, five or six years ago, they, they decided they couldn't afford pure maple syrup. So they now mix uh, corn syrup and some pure maple syrup in. And if you look at the label quickly, it says all natural. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not all natural maple syrup. So in, in, in that case, you know, 
I can see where the bottle looks just like the ones that people sell in Vermont that are all maple syrup. That people, it's misrepresented, but not really, because if you read the small print, it, it does tell you. Yeah, me and my son, every every now and then we go into Cracker Barrel, and that's something that I read every time and I get a kick out of it. You know, yeah. like food food labels, they crack me up. They have so much right. meaningless, you know, right. Right. all and, natural. And, and yes, yeah, so, you know, and, and we, in our sugar house, we have, the, we have a bunch of displays that try to explain things, and we have purchased um, all the fake syrups, Mrs. Butterworth and Aunt Jemima and all them, we, we poured the stuff down the drain, but mm-hmm. what we wanted was the bottle, that, and then we took the ingredients and we enlarged them three times over. So you're, people that have been thinking all along that, you know, that they were having maple syrup, when they come here, they learn different. Yeah. So as long as it's coming from Vermont, right, you can feel pretty safe that if it says it's pure maple syrup, that it is pure maple syrup. Yes, yes, yes. I am. I would say yes. There, pretty definitely. That if it says pure Vermont maple syrup, it it's it's you've got your state state maple board backing it and inspecting it. And the other thing that they're careful about, they can go into stores anywhere, and uh, if your syrup would was too thin, like they would you know, tell you, gosh, you better do a better job. you got to take that off the shelf. Uh, the same with the grades. If you called it the golden delicate and it was very dark, you know, they, mm-hmm. they'd come down on you. So we're, we, we've got a very good reputation in about Vermont maple syrup. So I, I think our state, and there was a thing I don't know, probably you haven't heard, but about four or five months ago, the FTA was making a new, food pyramid stuff, and they were going to put the word added sugar on maple syrup and honey and maybe molasses. I'm not sure. There's no added sugar, but somehow whatever they were trying to get over to people was that it was sugar, you know, sweet. And And the maple industry went bonkers over this and because uh, that was the last thing we wanted on our on our ingredients was it said added sugar right. so we were all had a letter writing campaign to the fda which we all thought would do absolutely nothing uh and some people went to washington that were uh from the maple board and, and some actual maple producers and the fda actually changed their mind <laughs> oh, that's great. So, you know, it, much to everybody's amazement, because yeah. it was a lost yeah. cause. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often, I'd imagine. No, no. So so there will not be a word added sugar on the food pyramid of maple syrup. That's great. Now, one one question I have, when I think about, you know, some of these natural syrups and and sugars and, and things like that with, like, honey— Right, you can have lots of different mm-hmm. flavors and varieties based mm-hmm. on the uh, the pollen that the bees are getting, and that's all yeah. going to add its own unique stamp and signature. So, with maple yeah. syrup, is there any variation to that, or is it well, all basically the same thing? And it just depends on again the intensity of that 
that syrup based on the time of when it's coming out of the um, I've had several people tell me that our syrup tastes better than something else they tasted somewhere else. And I'm thinking there's probably two or three things. In the same way, if you grow grapes in four different places, different soils, they say that affects what your wine's going to taste like. Mm-hmm. So I, I think some of the some of the, the that could be possible. Um, the quality of your syrup depends on you boiling it as soon as it comes out of the tree. Uh, it depends on you know your cleanliness of your pans you're boiling it in and all that kind of thing. So I think that it is. But I don't think you're going to get, you know, you're not going to get different kinds of maple trees giving different c- kinds of, of flavors like you would with, you know, if you get honey from clover as against goldenrod or something. Right. Okay. So what else do you do with the syrup? So I've seen, obviously, pancakes. And then looking on your website, you have maple candies and things like that. So what we personally sell our maple syrup, uh, we, we have our candies made for us by another local sugar house because we can sell all the maple syrup that we make as maple syrup, and we really don't want to uh, sell somebody else's maple syrup that we can't see what it looks like. Right. So, we buy from various local Vermont people, like we have a maple mustard, we have a maple apple drizzle, which is kind of like an ice cream sauce. Uh, we have um, um, a horseradish maple mustard. You know, we, we ourselves do not do anything with our maple except sell it in different sizes and grains. Because mm-hmm. that's about... All we can do along with selling, you know, the, the cheese that we age and package and all the other gift boxes we make. And yeah. So, so I don't know if they told you with, when you come, we, you know, you can taste the different other products that are made locally here that are incorporate maple. Yeah, that's what they were saying when they were when they came by to visit, that they were blown away with all the different things they can try and <laughs> taste. And they loved the experience. They thought it was just yeah. fantastic. About the cheese, let's talk about the cheese for a minute. You don't make the cheese, you age it? Correct. So where where do you get the cheese? Okay, there, there's about five small cooperative kind of creameries that are local that we, we buy it from when it's maybe three, four months old. And then we determine as it ages, we keep, trying it every four to six months and some of it we sell as a year and a half old some we sell it three years four years six years eight years a couple times a year we save a some that's 12 years old so that's the way that's what happens with the cheese we have a big aging cooler that has it all separated into the different ages yeah my my brother's a big cheese guy and he I think they got, I want to say it was eight years. Yeah. The cheddar yeah, that's, that's the been oldest eight years. That's the oldest we got right now. Okay. 
Yeah, they haven't cracked into it yet. He said he's saving it for a special occasion. Yeah, well, yeah, I had a man last summer that was here, and he said, I bought some eight-year-old cheese three years ago, and I've been saving it for a special occasion. <laughs> I said, you better eat it pretty soon. We recommend you use this in six months, and you've gone three years already. Yeah. I guess, you know, aging in another three years, right? Not too bad. If I were to come visit the farm, so someone that's listening to this podcast, what would they expect or what could they expect from coming by and giving you all a visit? Well, I mean, I think, number one, they should expect we're out in the country. Um, so, you know, the, the, to, to most people, that's kind of an adventure for a few people they are worried that the road turns from blacktop to gravel. (laughs) Um, They can really see, you know, they can, they can walk around when, when, when the maple season is over, we turn the sugar house into a um, educational display with a video and step one, step two, step three. So I think they can all learn as much as they would if they came at sugaring, they just can't see the theme and smell Mm -hmm. the nice sweet smell. Um, there's a walk in the woods that they can uh, see where the trees w- were tapped for the year. The, the tubing that we collect it with now stays stays in place, not tapped in the tree. But so a lot of people, I'm surprised. You know, that I, I give them samples. They, they buy something, and I look out an hour later, and they're you know they're still wandering around. There's picnic area. There's we have farm animals during the the warmer months, so you know kids can go out and play and the parents can sit and watch them <laughs> but it's just real friendly it's not it's not it's not anything you know it's not real slick <laughs> well like i said you know when my when my parents and brothers went out they they had a great time and and they said it just had that real personal feel to it right you know? right well we try we get we give each set of people that come in the door at the same time uh the, the samples of the cheese and the syrup so um, a lot of times, you know, you know, they might, if you, they came in late April, they probably might be the only people there at one time. If they came in October, there might be, you know, 22 sets of people from all over the world. So right. It, it, it just depends. And, and it's also kind of funny when somebody does come in the, in the middle of the winter and they, they were the only car there and then they come back in October and, you know, there's 42 cars in the parking lot. <laughs> they said, oh, we thought we were the only people that knew about this place. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So I I, I guess I'll end with one last question. Um, in, in today's world with businesses and farms that either go super industrial to survive or completely mm-hmm. go out of business, mm-hmm. what would you say has been your secret to the longevity and the success that you all have had? What Have you experienced any luck along the way? I'm sure some of it was luck. Some of it was the fact we like what we're doing. I really think that has as much to do with it that, you know, people know if you're having fun. Right. And, and, and we are blessed with the fact that Woodstock is a very – much of a tourist destination. Mm-hmm. So if we were in some little, little tiny town up near the Canadian border that, 
you know, they didn't ever see very many visitors in general, we'd be much worse off. Uh, we are also blessed with a big second home development right, uh, actually our borders our land, and so there's a lot of people that uh, have visitors every weekend, and mm-hmm. what do they do with them? So they, they're very faithful. Uh, the buy local movement in Vermont is quite intense. Uh, so all of those things, I think, have contributed to... to um, and I think the more people that are doing this kind of thing, Vermont's going to become even more of a destination for for foodies, uh, I mean, the, the beer in Vermont is just exploding, mm-hmm. and uh, the alcohol, uh, there's lots of little distilleries, more breweries per capita than Oregon, even, and oh, so, wow. it, it, you know, you could just, you can just come in, <laughs> eat, eat local, buy local, <laughs> yeah, sleep in a, sleep in a bed and breakfast where they grow their own air, eggs for breakfast and everything <laughs> good for tourism well that's great well thank you so much for your time okay, today you, i really enjoyed the chat other- again that was betsy with Sugarbush farms in woodstock vermont links to their website are in the description. Feel free to check them out if you want to order some syrup or if you're going to be in the area and want to stop by. So this week in the kitchen, I've been exploring the cookbook from the Knox Gelatin Company. It's called, and I always get a kick out of this title, uh, it's called Dainty Desserts for Dainty People. And the cookbook was released in 1915, and it's aged quite well. I have been really blown away with the recipes that I have been trying from this cookbook. So far, I've done three. I've done coconut cream, and I've done raspberry mousse, and I've done chocolate mousse. Now, with these recipes, they've been just creamy and smooth and delicious, and it's opened my eyes to a whole new world of gelatin that I didn't know existed. With the coconut cream, I really enjoyed the flavor and the texture. It was just a really luxurious coconut pudding, and it wasn't heavy. That's what I really liked. I'm imagining these uh, that coconut cream as a perfect summer dessert. Again, what I found from cooking these vintage recipes is that they aren't as sweet as desserts that we would have today. And in the summertime, I don't want something that's sickeningly sweet. If it's super hot and I'm sweating, the last thing I want is to pour a bunch of sugar down my throat. So with this coconut cream recipe, it's light, it's refreshing, but it still feels very indulgent and luxurious. The raspberry mousse was really good. Now, I'm... Recording this in the early spring, you know, and raspberries aren't quite in season yet. I can only imagine how amazing this recipe will be with some real fresh, sweet raspberries. As is, the the way I made it, 
it it had a nice tang and it had some tart to it from the the raspberries but it was still it, it had that nice creamy silky smooth texture from a mousse when i think of a dessert that is going to wow and impress people mousse definitely fits the bill and i never thought that it was something that would be easily made at home but this was something I, I did raspberry and I did chocolate. I was able to whip both of them up in just a few minutes and with minimal cooking, minimal hassle. And it set up into a dessert that really impressed uh, my family members that tried it. So I would highly recommend that you go to toastykettle.com and search out these recipes and make them for yourselves. And when you make a recipe, let me know how it goes, whether you follow us on social media, you know, on Facebook or Instagram, just drop me a line. Let me know. I'd love to hear. That's all I have for this week. If you like what you heard, give me a five-star review. It's going to help other people find the podcast and spread the word. 